You know, in high school, I had this good friend of mine. Let's know how you kind of have that, well, at least for me, you have that group of like two to four, maybe five really close friends, right? Those were, those were your guys for me. And one of my good friends, um, he was an only child and, and had a single mom. And he would come over for dinner quite a bit, hang out with us, really became close to us as a family. And for him, his parents divorced when he was quite young. You know, and he lived with his mom full time and his dad lived um, in another state. And he would visit his dad only during the summertime. And he would leave for the whole summer. And every summer he would come to us and just say, oh, I hate going to my dad's house. I hate leaving for the entire summer. I don't get to see any of you guys, and I just hate being there. You know, he would complain about having to go see his dad. You know, in the summer, in between our junior and senior year, he would go back, visit his dad, just like every summer. But he called me up. He called me up really distraught. Upset, Because his dad had explained to him why his mom and him got a divorce. You know, throughout the years, his mom had told him that his dad was unfaithful. And that was the reason why they weren't together. So you can imagine as a child growing up hearing this, he started to harbor bitterness, anger, and frustration towards his dad. And when he would go away for the summer... He would be more frustrated, like, oh, I don't want to be here with this man. But his dad sat him down when he turned 18 and explained to him the real reason why. That in fact, it wasn't him, but it was his mother that had called off the marriage. And my friend called me up and he was so confused because he was basically like, this whole time, I've thought one thing about one parent and another about another. You know, it wrecked really his perception and his view of his life because he had found out that his life was based on this lie, that his view of his mom and his dad, whether it be correct or not, from a moral standpoint, was based on this lie. Now, I want you to imagine how it would feel for you to wake up. Tomorrow morning, and for you to find out that your life was based on a lie. Wow. That your life was built around a lie. And that you found out that day that everything you believed, everything that you built your life around was in fact false. How would you feel? What would you do that day? How would your view of the world begin to change? You know, today's title of the sermon is called The Big Lie. All right. Not just a lie, but the biggest lie ever thought of, ever created. So big that it encompasses each and every one of us here this morning. And in fact, that is the exact topic that we're going to study out in John chapter 8, if you want to turn on over there. 
Jesus is going to address this big lie. You know, previous to where we're going to be reading here, Jesus had addressed large crowds. We know that there is um, an enormous festival happening here in Jerusalem. And Jesus has the opportunity, the chance to address thousands. And Jesus has laid out some pretty big claims. The, The biggest one being that he, in fact, is not only the son of God, but he and God are the same. And that is what he has laid out as his premise of this is who I am to the world. And we'll pick up in verse 30. And it says, even as he spoke, many believed in him. That's a great start to any sermon, to any, you know, passage that you're about to read. And man, many people believed in him. That was Jesus's goal, wasn't it? As he came here to earth was to get people to believe in who he was. But let's keep on reading to the Jews who had believed him. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's a song. song. Not as good as Rodolfo's jokes, apparently. All right. Those are my jokes. And my wife is here. So she, but she's over there and I'm up here. All right. In verse 33, they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me, because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I have seen in my father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you're Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I have heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? 
If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Stop right there. Man, that's an intense passage. You know, one of the most, if you were to take a step back, one of the most bizarre and counterintuitive exchanges in the Bible. From the standpoint of that, you have large crowds of believers. Like I said, believers of pretty big statements made by Jesus. But yet Jesus is not satisfied. Jesus is not satisfied with just belief. And in fact, he turns to them and challenges them. And this is not uncharacteristic of Jesus. As we've seen earlier in John chapter 6, after he feeds the thousands, he begins to explain that he is the bread of life and that they must eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. And what do they do? They turn away. That Jesus isn't just satisfied with you being there. He's implying that not all believers are his disciples. That not all believers are true Christians. In Matthew chapter 7, it's a passage we looked at referenced here in communion. Yeah. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Here we see that followers, believers of Jesus to the point where they're able to do great things, miracles, cast out demons. But Jesus' response to them is, that's not enough. And in fact, it's not, hey, thanks for hanging out, thanks for playing. It's, you're evildoers. Wow. And here we see that exact same sentiment, don't we? That, who is their father? The devil. That Jesus is not satisfied with just believers. It wasn't common then, as you continue to read through the Gospel of John, and it's not uncommon today. That this sermon, this passage of scripture could be said to us point blank. <clears throat> that just because you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Lord and Savior, just because you're in this room, just because you are well schooled in the scriptures and the ways of the Lord doesn't mean that you're a disciple of Jesus. It doesn't mean that you're a Christian. That belief isn't enough to make you a disciple. And we start to see that the great lie begins to come into view. The great lie that Jesus is trying to expose. The great lie that he's trying to bring to us this morning. You know, Jesus, he makes it very easy to find out if someone is really his disciples. Very easy. Simply based around one idea. If you hold to my teaching. If you hold to my word. 
You know, someone's willing to say to you, hey, I'm a Christian. The easy response to that is, do you hold to Jesus' word? Do you follow the Bible? Is that your life? And the term that Jesus is that Jesus uses here is this idea that it is who you are. That it's not just that you know it. In fact, it fills you to overflowing. That it fills you completely. This is the same word that was used earlier when he changed water into wine. That these jars were filled to the brim. That you are filled to the brim with Jesus' word. That you breathe it. That it forms your view of the world. That it begins to form your view of marriage. Dating. Your job. What you watch on TV. Politics. War. Other hot topics within society today. That it forms and shapes those views. Because the word has permeated and penetrated your life. So if you can hold to the title of Christian, of disciple, then it, your life should look like it, shouldn't it? Yeah, there you go. It should be obvious. You know, um, an analogy that I heard was that if you were on trial as a Christian and the charges brought against you were the fact that you were a Christian, would there be enough testimony eyewitness accounts and enough proof to validate, to convict you of being a Christian? Would there be enough in your life? Could other people prove and convict you of being a Christian if that was what you were on trial for? And we start to see That the lie is getting more and more exposed. And then Jesus begins to make it personal, doesn't he? In this passage, he points directly to the crowd here. These aren't just open-ended statements. In fact, these are personal statements about who they are, about what they hold. (laughs) And more importantly, that they believe that they are free. That they hold fervently to that idea. You know, and what Jesus throws out there is, in fact, that you are a slave. (laughs) Not only a slave, but a slave to sin. Now, just like then, for us, if I were to accuse any of you of being a slave, if I were to say, you're actually a slave in our society. You actually are a slave. That's what you were born as. And that's what you will die as. That's a very like, whoa. What are you saying about me? It's a very hot topic in our society. Just as it was back then. Because a slave doesn't have rights. A slave has no security. They do what they're told. And they have no option to say no. They go and they do what their master says. That they have no control over their own life. You know, the lie begins to come into focus. That in fact, the crowd here had a perceived notion that they were free. 
But in fact, they were actually a slave. Not only a slave, but a slave to sin. You know, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It's not the right Romans. We'll go back to that here in a minute. That everyone who sins is a slave to sin. In Romans chapter 3, excuse me, it says that everyone has sinned. In verse 23, every single one of us has sinned. So if that is the case, then every single one of us is a slave to sin. Not only are we a slave to sin, but we are helplessly enslaved because of our own actions. No one has forced you to become a slave to sin. No one has made you sin. It is something that you have voluntarily, happily walked into that situation. Happily placed your own chains on your own arms and legs. That you have entered into that state by your own free will. And the conclusion you have to come to is that you are not free. The big lie is, is that you are not a slave. The big lie is that you are not free. You and um, as Americans, we really do value our freedom, don't we? It's something we celebrate every year. Don't get me wrong. I love Fourth of July. That's one of my favorite holidays. You get to shoot fireworks, and anybody who's been to my house or my parents' house, for that matter, yeah. I'm not going to shoot fireworks in my house. <laughs> you know, I love Fourth of July. I I love celebrating my freedom. I love celebrating it. I love eating all the barbecue on that day. I love having fun with celebrating our nation's freedom. You know, it's something that we do fight for, something that we do hold very close to our hearts. That we have a freedom of an oppressive government. That no one can control me. There is no authority. There is no one that can tell me what to do. We love our freedom and our free will. That we are in control of our own fate. That we hold our soul in our own hands. We love the fact that we are free thinkers. No past or history or wisdom can tell us what is best in our own life. We love our freedom from morality. Our free love, our pro-choice, our own lifestyle. We love that freedom. But what if your freedom was the greatest lie of all time? That your freedom was actually slavery. Slavery to sin. A false sense of freedom. A slave with such a long chain that you don't even realize that you're attached and tethered. Just far enough for you to go to feel like you're in control. But yet attached by the chains of sin. You know... The definition of addict is ever expanding. Have you ever thought about that? There's always different categories added to the topic of addict. It's no longer just a substance addict, a drug addict, alcohol. It has expanded. 
I looked it up and this is what it is as of now. And I'm sure it's even being added that you can be a sex addict, a pornography and masturbation addict, a video game addict, an internet addict, a food addict, an exercise addict, a shopping addict, social media addict. Those are the recognized right now categories of what it is to be an addict. What it is to be enslaved by those vices. Our society is growing in the definition, recognizing the fact that we are slaves to sin and there's nothing you can do about it. You might be saying to yourself, well, Jeff, none of those topics apply to me. In Romans chapter 6, the scripture up here on the, on the screen, it says, do you not know? That if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. You sin, you make that choice, you become a slave to sin. It's as simple as that. We see here that Jesus' words expose that lie. But the people were unwilling to listen. The people were unwilling to hear the truth. The, their pride is what kept them from seeing the truth and experiencing true freedom. They were not willing to be persuaded. They were shown the truth by the Son of God. For a lot of us, I'm sure... If you're anything like me, if I said, hey, I'm having a conversation with Jesus, you know I'm going to become a Christian. You know I'm going to live a life of righteousness. If Jesus tells me what to do, I'm going to do it. Here we see exactly the opposite. Because they were unwilling to see the lie for what it is. How do you react to the scriptures when the scriptures are opened up? When the Bible is put before you, right. it says this is the way that you're supposed to live. Right. How do you react to that? The people here, they wanted to make it about everything else, didn't they? They didn't want to talk about themselves. Right. They wanted to make it about everything else. They wanted to start an argument about all the details. Sound familiar to any argument you've ever been in? I don't want to talk about the subject. I'm going to make it about everything else. They wanted to hold on to their false freedom. How do you, Christian, react to scriptures even if they're brought to you today? After 20 years of being a Christian, 35 years, 40 years, 50 years. How do you see the scriptures? When someone challenges you and brings the word of God to you, how do you react to that truth? Do you allow it to expose and to break the chains of sin? To take up the offer of freedom? And what Jesus is offering here, as he exposes the lie that we are slaves to sin, is he's offering true freedom. Not like any other freedom that we know. Not held by the definition of our freedom that we know and love and we celebrate every 4th of July. 
But it's a freedom that is based on the fact that you need to hold to Jesus' teaching. You need to hold to the truth and the truth will set you free. You know, this is a, an odd concept to be brought to us today in our society. The fact that there's freedom offered by someone else's will. Kind of an odd thing. We think about our view of what freedom is. That we should be allowed to do what we want. We think of freedom as a freedom of choice. But in fact, the freedom that Jesus is talking about is that you are in line with God. That your freedom is in line with God. I want you to, real quick, think about slot car racing. And yes, that is a slot car racing set. That's amazing, man. When I was a kid, I was, oh, I would, I would destroy that in like a couple of minutes. But that truly is a model slot car set. When I saw that, I was like, no way. But anyways, distracted. Here we go. I want you to think about that slot car. Off the track, it doesn't do anything. Off the track, you flip it off the track, it does nothing. It doesn't get back on the track. It's lifeless. But when you put it on the track, when those points make contact, and that circuit is complete, that's how it works, it's going to go, it's going to move, because it's in line with what it's built to do. Right. It has a purpose. And that purpose is exactly what God has designed. That we have true freedom only when we're in line with God's will. That when we truly are obeyed, and that we are following the word of God. That is true freedom. That is the opposite of slavery to sin. This is the freedom that Jesus is offering. This is the freedom that we get to experience and celebrate every Sunday morning. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. Because it does conquer death. You know, Galatians chapter 4. Skip that one. For the sake of time. Galatians chapter 4, it says, In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, of a woman born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. Um, God sent the Spirit of the Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. That's the freedom that Jesus is offering. That's the freedom and the sacrifice that can truly and only break the chains of sin. That do expose the lie that you are, in fact, a slave to sin, but yet Jesus offers freedom yeah. through his truth. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And this is a continual cycle. It doesn't just happen once. The day of your salvation, the day of your baptism. This is a continual cycle as a true believer, as a follower of Christ. If that's your status, you say it's today. It's a continual process. 
That's a continual process that we have to keep reminding ourselves. That in fact, we are not slaves to sin. You know, for me, it's some of my biggest struggles in life. The biggest lie that Satan tries to come back with is the fact that you are not free. You, in fact, can't change. You, in fact, can't break the chains of sin. That somehow I have returned to slavery. But with Jesus and his sacrifice, you have the freedom and the ability to break those chains of sin. And that doesn't ever change. But the only way to break those chains is through Jesus and his word. Let me put this before you. If you have been stuck in sin continually, then maybe you're not holding to the word. If you can't break those chains, then maybe you're not holding to the word. If you're frustrated because you're stuck in that cycle, maybe you're not holding to the word this morning. Because the only way to break the chains of sin, the only way for you to experience true freedom to live and to walk in the ways that Jesus, God, have designed from the very beginning for you is to live by the truth, to live in the word. Now, we've come full circle. That we see if you hold to his teachings, then you are his disciple. If you're a disciple, then you have a knowledge of the truth. And a disciple plus knowledge of the truth equals freedom. And freedom equals victory over sin. Great point. That is discipleship. That is being a Christian. So the conclusion we can come to today, church, is that discipleship, that being following Jesus, equals freedom. That is the only freedom. It's through us following Jesus for our entire lives. They're so closely tied together and cannot be separated. You know, church, we need to seek freedom. We need to seek to expose the lie that Satan has put before each and every one of us this morning. We need to follow Jesus. We need to live in his word. Because the greatest lie has been masterfully woven into the culture of our hearts. That you, the lie that you are a slave to no one, that you live and enjoy your freedom because of your own choices and will. In fact, is the biggest lie ever told. In serving ourselves and seeking out our own desires, we are enslaved to sin and ultimately Satan. But if we submit ourselves to Jesus and his word, we know and live in the truth. And that truth will set us free. So as we leave here, I want to I want you to think about this over the next week. Are you truly free? Are you truly free? Are you living by the truth? Are you Following Jesus' words. Or have you bought into a lie? This week I want you to look at your life. And if you feel confident in the fact that yes I am a repentant, baptized disciple of Jesus. 
to be confident in the fact that you are free and free indeed. Thank you, church. Amen.